can I sustain this for years and years on end? Even though every day is not like this, but the ones that are like this are bad sometimes. Welcome back to Tiny Seed Tales, a series where I follow a founder through their struggles, victories, and failures as they build their startup. I'm your host, Rob Walling. I'm a serial entrepreneur and co-founder of Tiny Seed, the first startup accelerator designed for bootstrappers. We're back with Brian and Scotty, co-founders of Gather. If you're just joining us, you should go back and listen to the previous two episodes. As we learned last episode, Gather is trying to take their product up market, which means focusing on finding product market fit with a new group of customers and likely leaving behind the group they've been used to serving. This week's focus is on a feeling that's pervasive in the entrepreneur community, anxiety. Brian's quote from the start of this episode communicates that perfectly. It's been an up and down week for their business. But first, Scotty updates us on their two new hires and some good news on the sales front. We hired a, a VA who is going to help us with, you know, all of the email, the cold email. So she's responsible for managing that, responding to emails and setting up um, calendar dates for, for those demos. And um, and then we've also hired a marketing slash industry um, expert who's going to come on part-time. And we had our first meeting with her yesterday, and that was it was really great. She went through a rewrite of our copy and um, just kind of spoke out loud as she read it and kind of where her head with her, you know, interior designer architecture hat on, gave us some feedback. So um, we're really, really excited to, to get started with that, um, with her, get her going. So, you know, we're just really, we're setting in place a lot of processes, writing things down more, whereas, you know, when it's just when it's just the two of us, we um, were really not focused on documenting all the processes because we were just surviving. And did you have any breakthroughs this week? I heard a rumor there might have been a, a larger sale, a little bit of an upmarket customer who came on board. Oh, yes, we did. We had our first team plan sign up at our new pricing, which was very exciting. So we were, we're really hoping to get more of those. So, and there was, you know, the nice part is it was, there was very little courting that happened. They sort of came in, they started adding their team and then they went through the trial and they subscribed. So it was very, very simple. So we're hoping to have a lot more of those. One thing you'll notice as an entrepreneur is that when you start to expand your team beyond just the founders, new hires propel you to get more organized. Creating standard operating procedures like Brian and Scotty are now doing is a big step towards cementing the continuity and value of the business. As we've seen in previous episodes, there's a difference between creating a job for yourself and creating a business that can eventually run without your direct input. This past week, Brian and Scotty attended the first in-person retreat for Tiny Seed Batch 1, where most of the founders met for the first time. The co-founders of Tiny Seed, myself and Anar Volset, decided we wanted to challenge our founders to a growth goal, which we communicated at the retreat. You'll hear how Brian and Scotty reacted to this goal. For me, I think coming off the retreat, it's been there's been a lot of different emotions, um, you know, excitement, energy, inspiration, but also a little bit of anxiety and stress. Talk about that. What what does the stress come from? It just feels like there's so much that we want to do 
um, and that we know we need to do, especially to hit that that lovely number that you and Einar dropped on us. <laughs> you know, we just have a lot to do to get there. Um, we feel confident that we can, but we know that we can't get there continuing to move in the way that we have been. So we have to do more. So we've been sort of trying to wrap our heads around what that means and and how we how we take action. And when I and I, you know, mentioned kind of uh, a batch goal, right? We we said you know, we think everyone in the batch has the potential to hit, you know, X amount of MRR during the course of this year. Were you surprised by by the number we threw out? Did you feel like wow, wasn't even on our radar? Complete shock. Or is it was it instantly more of a I think I think that if we if we work that we can get there. I don't think it was a huge shock for some others in in the in the group. It it might have been a big stretch for them. There's you know several that are just getting started. But for us, I think I think that's the goal. That that was the number we needed um, because that is a bit of a stretch. I think I Brian may feel differently. I feel for us that that. That's our high goal. That's a stretch goal for us, but we want to get there. And I think we can. But yeah, I think it was an initially it was like, oh, okay, that's a little higher than I think we had or would have put on ourselves for the end of the program. But we're we're really glad that that number was was given to us. I almost think of it like, so I played sports for nine years, high school, college, I ran track. I, was, I played football as well, but track was my big my focus. And all through that time, I always worked with a coach who pushed me. And the coach was there to work with me to get me there. But the coach would say, I think you should run under 40 in the hurdles. You know, I think you should, whatever. I mean, we would kind of agree on a personal best or a personal record that I would aim for or qualifying for the state meet or whatever. And then we would, you know, we decide like we need to get to this point in order to do that. And in all honesty, it always felt intimidating and overly ambitious to me from the time I was 14 until 21, in essence, or 22, I guess, when I was when I was running those. But, but I never felt like the coach would be disappointed or mad at me if I didn't get there. But the coach was there with me to work through it. And that's how I'm thinking about this. You know, it's less of, of a punitive thing and more of a let's do this together and let's be ambitious together and, and let's get there. But that's just how that's how I view it as someone who who threw the number out. I'm curious if that's how it, you know, came across to you when you initially yeah, heard it. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And and I think in a way, you know, we walked away from that that meeting that night feeling like, wow, they that's really cool that they think that we can achieve that, that they believe in us because we believe in ourselves. But when someone else, you know, you have your ups and downs. I mean, this is highs and lows all the time. But when someone else says, we believe in you, especially someone with um, your kind of experience, you know, we feel like that makes us feel more inspired and motivated to, to make it happen. So I, I definitely didn't feel like you were, you guys were saying, if you don't get there, we're going to be disappointed. But um, it felt, it felt really exciting that we now have this this goal that someone else has sort of imposed on us, but we're ready to to get there too. How about you, Brian? You know, to give listeners context, like 
it was almost like a, a kickoff meeting, even though we're two months into the batch. Next year, that will happen the first day, you know, but but the way timing worked out this time, you know, we talked a lot about what Tiny Seed is and really about why, you know, each of you were selected, how we do believe that you, you know, you all have the potential to be seven and eight figure businesses. And then we basically said, look, we have a goal for everyone. And some folks had specifically asked us for this on the side of like, hey, what are your expectations? What are your goals that would help us, that would help me focus to get somewhere? And so that was part of the impetus. It was already in the back of my mind, but I was teetering back and forth on, well, do we put this out there? How will it make people feel? Because I certainly don't want a group of bootstrappers to feel like suddenly there's something imposed on them because that's not a, you know, it's not a good feeling. I've, I've been there in jobs and such. And so we kind of talked through our, you know, the rationale and, and talked through a bunch of stuff and then said, hey, we, we think you can get to, you know, to this number and, and we want to help you get there. H- how did you feel when you heard that? I think I felt kind of the same way that Scotty felt. I think when when the number was first dropped, I was like, I kind of had like a oh that's that's higher than than I have forecasted because <laughs> I I tend to like forecast out you know different scenarios like bad bad okay and and best and that was definitely on the higher end of those um, because it's a an order of magnitude our current rev- revenue so I kind of felt the same thing Scotty did I was like okay you know, how are we going to do that was kind of my first thought. But then I, but then after it, like I digested it, then I felt like, well, that number totally makes sense. And it's just a matter of working backwards from it to figure out like what we have to do. And one thing that really was interesting for me that changed my thought process about it, which I really thought was valuable was like, it made me think, oh, okay, well, how do I deploy the money to do that? Do you know what I mean? Like, Whereas before we would have been like, well, how, how are we going to do that? Like we can't just, you know, like th- we can't throw money at it, so to speak. So that was one thought I had is like, oh, that changed the way that I looked at deploying the capital. And then the second thing that the second thing that I thought was, I think that you used the term default alive, which really stuck, stuck with me and resonated. And as I kind of dissected that number, I realized like how aligned it was with my notion of default alive, meaning like I felt like if we hit that number, we would be poised to survive for a lot longer and not just be scrambling, you know, from from like day to day and contractor to contractor. It gave it's like a number that gives us the ability to to hire, you know, longer term and keep people around longer term and like bring more talented people and and ideas into the mix and do you know more advertising and marketing so um so anyways yeah that that default alive thing really stuck and resonated with me i'll I'll say all that just and and then also say like it didn't come with without a fair amount of like anxiety like even this morning i woke up at like four o'clock in the morning thinking about that number Oh no! And um, <laughs> so there, there was a part of me that just woke up this morning, going like, my brain just went into like, don't forget that number. And I think it was also compounded by the fact that we kind of had, we had a couple of rough spots this this last month. So it was like, you know, the the juxtaposition of this big goal and then like sort of this this last rough couple of weeks, I think just made me wake up and start drinking coffee. I saw at the Tiny Seed Retreat, once we started talking about specific numbers, you could see a couple people saying, oh, that means I might have to change my pricing to get there. 
And all of a sudden, there was a, a whole rethinking of pricing. I should probably charge more. Someone else said, well, if I work backwards, it's X grand a month. And to get there, I need this many leads because I have this many that convert to trade. You know, and, and suddenly, it becomes a math equation of like, cool, well, then how do I get to that many leads? And of course, you know, no plan survives contact with the enemy. So all these plans will have to adjust. But it gives you some type of level set. You know, if I'm going from here to New York, at least I'm getting to New York. I don't know if I'm driving back roads or driving freeways, but I know that there's, I'm at least going east from, from where I live to start with. And maybe, maybe I miss that number. Maybe I overshoot it, which would be crazy, but maybe you miss the number by a couple thousand bucks. And still that should be a win because that's still, you know, really nice growth for, for most of the companies in the batch. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of how I felt too. It's like, there are a number of levers that we have at our discretion to, to pull. And um, that number gave us, like it, it allowed me to think about the numbers that mattered the most and the ones that would provide the most leverage. Um, and we're still figuring that stuff out. That's kind of a work in progress, but it does add a sort of certain quantification to the whole thing. Brian mentioned they've had some rough spots with their business in the last couple of weeks. Now we're going to turn to the theme I outlined at the start of this episode, anxiety and stress in entrepreneurs. My wife is a clinical psychologist who works with a lot of startup founders, and she often quotes a study that indicates entrepreneurs experience higher levels of stress and anxiety, while people with salary jobs experience higher levels of depression. Both are hard, but for someone transitioning into becoming a full-time entrepreneur, these feelings can really bog you down especially if you've only heard the fairy tale stories of entrepreneurs who found success with relative ease. The crux of Scotty and Brian's current anxiety starts with the high levels of churn they've experienced recently, as they're in the midst of bringing their product up market to a new set of customers. As Brian mentioned, you know, we had a couple rough patches this month, and um, one of those was churn. So we had a pretty high churn month. Was it one custom, one big customer or a number of smaller ones? No, it was a number of smaller ones. You know, on the on the bright side, uh, we've mentioned we're we're trying to go up market, and the churns that we had were definitely um, not those types of firms. So it's interesting to see that is that because we are now starting to carve that path to that new type of customer. And so our features are no longer speaking to the other subset of customers that, you know, that we were marketing more towards. And are we just starting to see them fall off now? So it's always really hard when you have a a high churn month, no matter who the customers are. But I'm curious to see if this is, you know, sort of a weeding out of those, like maybe the subscriptions that we're not trying to hang on to as much. When you get cancellations like that in a, in a bit of a cluster, I guess, you know, you, you said you, you look on the bright side in the sense that it might make sense given your new positioning. What, what does it make you think not on the bright side? Like what is, what is the fear underneath? Boy, we had three, four, five cancellations all, you know, all within a couple of weeks. Well, I think the, I mean, the fear is that this happens every month, (laughs) even though there was maybe one cancellation that I thought, oh, that's, that's a bummer. Like they're, you know, they were, they were a pretty good customer. They've been with us for a while. 
so I was sad to see them go and and to find out that they actually left us for a competitor because of a feature that we don't have but are currently building. Ooh, that's tough. Yeah, and I even, you know, I even reached out to her and I told her we are actually in the process of building this feature. We should have it released, you know, in a couple of weeks. Would you consider staying? Um, you know, you you are currently grandfathered in at she was she's been with us for a long time, so she's grandfathered in at a very good price. And so I let her know that, you know, one of the downsides of actually canceling is that she loses that grandfathered status. And um, I asked her if she would consider staying. And if she would, then, you know, she would continue to keep that pricing. And she basically said that, you know, she loves Gather. She she would definitely consider coming back once we add that feature, but she she has to go. <laughs> so that was hard. Yeah, I can imagine. It feels like a rejection. Yeah. Right, with someone who's been with you for that long. Mm -hmm. That's a bummer. Brian, is that also your low? Yeah, that's one of them. You know, and it didn't really, like, it, it kind of happened all, like, so the month was looking really good in the first couple of weeks, and we thought, oh, we're definitely on track for the best, the best month we've ever had. And then, like, the last two weeks, they just started kind of dropping like flies. And yeah, that felt really bad. That was another thing that kind of woke me up at four o'clock in the morning when I was like in the pits of despair or whatever, <laughs> was like, what the heck's happening here? And it's not like we've never had, our, our churn fluctuates a lot, I think mostly just because um, we don't have that many customers to begin with. So statistically speaking, you know, the, the variations fluctuate quite a bit. So we tend to look at averages rather than month to month because one month it might be 1% churn. And then this month we had 6.5% churn. And like Scotty said, on the bright side, it's like they were they were customers that were not trying to court that much more of. But there's also this underlying fear in my mind that it's like, well, the risk that we're taking in not like continuing to build features to keep those kinds of customers. We have to kind of walk this tightrope between those things. And that makes me a bit nervous. I still think we're on the right path, but we have a, we have a, a competitor, even though we don't like to think of them as a competitor, because we're really trying to distance ourselves from them. But uh, they're really, I think we kind of suspect maybe they're sucking up a lot of these folks. And that's just intimidating. You know, and this particular competitor has a lot of resources and they're like the big, you know, 800 pound gorilla in the room. And so it's like, it confirms both that we need to move away from them, but it also is kind of scary because, you know, it's like we could have chosen to build the features that we know that would make us more competitive with this big gorilla, but then would that have kept them? We don't know. It's just this constant state of not knowing and like, you know, kind of trying to make the best decisions you can, but just not really ever knowing the full picture. Yeah, making a, this isn't a pivot, but it's it's just a, a course correction with your positioning, which is kind of what you're doing. You're going up market. Making that, whether whether you're going up market, whether you're changing from one vertical to another, whether you're expanding into other verticals, going from vertical to horizontal, there's all these changes you can make that are really scary while you're doing them because a you don't know if it's going to work b there's this this no man's land for months typically where you're kind of trying to serve both markets and you're not doing either very well 
and C, it can alienate your previous customers with whom you have relationship and who are paying you money and and you can cause it can cause them to churn, which is scary as as you guys are experiencing. Scary may be overstating it, but it's anxiety inducing because you're like, what what if this what if where we're going doesn't work and we've lost our you know our our kind of lower tiered customers, our smaller customers in your case. Is is that part of your thought process? Yeah, yeah, that's a lot of it. I mean, I feel like a lot of it is that it seems like in retrospect, SaaS of the past used to be sort of like you could build something and then, you know, you built like you, you, you got to product market fit and then you could kind of just like do slight iterations on things or improve this and that. But generally speaking, because the landscape wasn't uber competitive, you could you could kind of like, you know, build a product and then just not build on it that much anymore. And then, so, but now it feels like, you know, even just us saying we're not going to continue to build features for the people, you know, that we're not trying to grow the company toward, even though they're clamoring for them. It's like, that just means that the rest of the market and the competitors are doing those things. And so naturally, they're going to be more attracted to them over time. So you're right, this, the, the notion of a no man's land is definitely, that feels like it's a real thing. And that's, uh, that's kind of scary. But at the same time, it's like, like I said, I do think we're doing the right thing. And, you know, the customers that are not churning, which, which is great, are the ones that we want. So it's like, you know, it just, we, we're just going to double down on, like, let's go get more of those. Yeah, I think at times like these, it's important to look a few months ahead and imagine what it will look like if it succeeds, you know? And and if you look back, then you can say, what did we do right? What did we do wrong? Almost think of it in a retro retrospective, like assume it's going to work. What will that feel like? What will it look like? And try to kind of keep your eyes on that because obviously right now it's it's hard. And that's, I've said many times being a founder is making decisions with incomplete information. And that's where you are. You don't have all the information, no matter how many conversations you have with current customers, prospects, bigger customers, LinkedIn cold outreach to larger firms, whatever, you're never going to be at 100%. At best, you're at 60, 70%. And that's hard. A lot of us, our brains want certainty. You know, we want to know that it's going to work. I think there's a reason that most of the workforce works for for other companies because there's a certainty in showing up every day and having a salary job. And and there's nothing wrong with that, of course. There's safety in that, right? I mean, we can argue whether or not there's long-term safety and whether you can be laid off and all that stuff. But there is, we know a lot of people who've worked 15, 20 years, same job, they collect the paycheck, they have the retirement. And there's a lot less uncertainty and anxiety in that path but you've started your own company. And so you, you've kind of signed up, whether you knew it or not, you've, you've signed up for a journey that will have so much uncertainty, way more than we're used to in our, in our everyday lives, I think. Absolutely. That's true. And we know what we signed up for, but it's like, I was thinking about this this morning, actually. It's sort of like when, I remember when I first got started and I was listening to all these gurus and I was like super pumped up about about doing all this and they would, you know, I would hear them go, but you know, there's all this stress and anxiety and that's just part of it. And, and I kind of, I like, I registered that and I, but I kind of just went, yeah, yeah, you know, whatever. Like I couldn't like put myself into it. 
And, you know, when it happens, it's like those overwhelming moments of anxiety, which is really clear on my mind because today has been kind of that kind of day, is just like, oh man, you know, like, can, can I sustain this for years and years on end? Like, even though it, it's not every day is not like this, but the ones that are like this are bad sometimes. And, um, and so I think of people, I think of founders who tell stories where they lived in this world of like, you know, 16 hour anxious, you know, per day anxiety. And they sustained that over like these long periods of time, even if they did have a positive outcome you think, wow, that takes so much stamina. And those are just the ones that tell you that they had a positive outcome. So it seems like they're saying, you know, it was terrible at the time, but it was worth it in the end. But you don't hear about the stories of all the anxiety from the founders that didn't make it. And so those are just things that come into your mind when you're going through, you know, periods of stress. It's like, is, is it all worth it? Is it all worth it? That phrase plays over and over in your head hundreds of times as an entrepreneur building a bootstrap business. Dealing with the stress and anxiety in healthy and productive ways is how you're gonna survive and thrive as a startup founder. Next week, we take a look into the personal side. As you know, Scotty and Brian are a married couple and there's no way this business isn't affecting their personal lives and their relationship with one another. On the personal side, I mean, obviously, we've been talking about the business finances and runway and stuff. but you know, prior to really doubling, doubling down on Gather, you know, I was doing consulting and I was pretty successful at it and we were making quite a bit of money. And so we didn't have personal budget restrictions for, for all intents and purposes. And so, you know, we weren't going crazy and we're not really materialistic people, but we certainly didn't blink when it came to like going out to a nice dinner or going on a trip or doing sort of things. And um, and now we're being much more conscious of our personal spending. And so I think that has also manifested itself just a little bit in some additional stress because we're really tracking all of our expenses really tightly and we're making sure that we don't spend foolishly. That's next week on Tiny Seed Tales. Tales.